The Athletic. Hello, welcome. You're listening to the Athletic Football Tactics podcast, where it is that time of year. It's Champions League week on the pod, a review of the men's Champions League quarterfinals and a look at the semi-final fixtures is already out on this feed from this week. But on this episode, we're going to preview the UEFA Women's Champions League semi-finals, which take place this weekend, the first legs. Anyway, Michael Cox is here, as is Charlotte Harper. Hi, Charlotte. Hello. Tactics pod debut for you. I know. I can't believe that is the case, but I also can believe it. And I'm excited. I think the issue in the Euros was that we recorded quite early morning and Charlotte was filing her reports at like 3 a.m. So <laughs> I think we excused her from I thought we were going straight this. into character assassination. Charlotte no, refuses no, to work no, before 9 a.m. Absolutely not. No. The opposite. It, you're not great on the morning records, if I may say. Michael. No. Not a morning person. Um, really excited to... It's 11.57 <laughs> as, as we record, so give me three minutes now and I'll be right. You're going to be fired up by the time we get into topic two. Uh, it's great to have you, Charlotte. It's great to be uh, adding uh, new members of the Tactics Pod team as we go. Just a couple of weeks left of the season. Uh, we're looking to finish strong. Big games taking place on Saturday and Sunday, the first leg of the first semi-final is between Chelsea and Barcelona. That's being played at Stamford Bridge on Saturday lunchtime. Uh, that'll be followed on Sunday mid-afternoon by Wolfsburg against Arsenal. Let's start with the Chelsea FC Barcelona game, Charlotte. This is a repeat of the 2021 final, which it didn't go well for Chelsea. It didn't. And my biggest memory of that was that it was mid-pandemic. Mm. So it was really eerie in the stadium, flew out to Gothenburg. I mean, you're tested, hoping to get back into the UK, but the stadium was so ghostly and Chelsea conceded an own goal in the first minute. The stadium was quiet, but even then you're thinking, oh my goodness, how is this going to turn out? And it was a really freak goal that came off Leupold's. Penilla Harder then had two great opportunities to equalize for Chelsea, but didn't capitalize. For Barca's second, uh, Graham Hansen beat Jess Carter on the right. Loy Poles again caught Hermoso, controversial penalty awarded. That was never a pen. That was never a pen. Yeah, I think it was a little harsh. It didn't look it in real time and it didn't look it after multiple replays. And at that point, there wasn't VAR, right? But now there is? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Pateas converted, 14 minutes, Chelsea 2-0 down. Third goal, and you really see that Barcelona machine just being so slick. Uh, Martins took on Neve Charles, and we'll come on to this, but they really attacked Chelsea's fullbacks, Barcelona. Beautiful interplay between Hermoso, Pateas, and Bon Mati for, for Barca's third. That was Barcelona at their finest. Again, Martins, a thorn in Charles's side down that left flank went round the outside cut back and you know clear tap in for Graham Hansen to finish 4-0 36 minutes done and dusted yeah it was fairly ugly I, I I almost want to in order to defend what happened for the Chelsea team that day the bonkers first minute of the game in which Barca had already hit the bar by the time <laughs> the 
ridiculously unlucky own goal was scored. It was a clearance, you know, off, an, off another defender and flew perfectly into the top corner. Then the aforementioned chances for Chelsea straight afterwards responded relatively well. And then the, the penalty decision, which I felt seemed harsh. So, Michael, I'm saying that, you know, it, it was a headline scoreline. Never a 4-0 game, though. Yeah, it was a funny one. Charlotte says Harder had a couple of chances. If they go in, it could be a different game. But I think it was a bit of a, almost a reality check for not just Chelsea, but WSL sides. Um, I think it was the first time one of them had played Barcelona. Um, and they were, there were certain elements of the game they just couldn't cope with. Not just the midfield possession, which I think we know is Barcelona's strength, but down the flanks as well. In particular, Neve Charles and Jess Carter had a really difficult game. And I think the difficult thing or the worrying thing for Chelsea is that the teams are quite similar. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of differences in personnel, but it still feels like the same Barcelona side. It roughly feels like the same Chelsea side. Um, and on top of that, Chelsea have quite bad injury problems, um, some of which have been the case throughout the season or for a long time without Kirby and Harder. But now they have defensive injury issues as well, and that is going to be a major problem, I think. Right. So if, if one of the areas of huge concern for Chelsea in that previous game was being attacked down the sides, Charlotte... Would... Do you still see that being a big feature of Barca's attacking play here? Definitely. I think you've got Bronze and Rolfo in those full backs. And we see Lucy Bronze for England buccaneering. And as I think Michael has described her runs before, which is quite characteristic of Lucy Bronze. Um, and that's where they will hurt Chelsea. And I think with Carter... Um, and Perisay for Chelsea, they're not as attacking-minded in those full-back areas. Emma Hayes confirmed that Millie Bright will be out for uh, Chelsea's first leg on Saturday. Kadisha Buchanan is a maybe. So Chelsea are without their first-choice centre-back pairing. And I think a key miss is Jisoo Yun for Chelsea, who left the club last year. And she actually made things tick in the second half of that Champions League final. And Chelsea are, are lacking that creativity without G and Kirby. In terms of with the ball going forward, Michael, what can we expect Chelsea's likely attacking strategy to be? Well, I think they're going to play on the break. Um, and I think they will get opportunities to break. As Charlotte says, Barcelona pushed the fullbacks on. Uh, I think Sam Kerr maybe hasn't had her best season in terms of scoring, but in terms of the big games, she has been able to kind of pull a rabbit from a hat. I mean, there's been a couple of games against Arsenal, against Manchester United, where Chelsea have been on the back foot and basically just played long balls into the channels and she's made things happen. Um, in the second leg of the game against Lyon, uh, in the quarterfinal, Chelsea played 4-4-2 with Lauren James up front alongside Kerr. I think that could happen. I mean, that would be a risk, I think, against Barcelona's midfield. So I think probably James will be on the right, Kerr will be up front. And Guru Reiton, who I think has probably been their most consistent player this season, will be on the left. And I do think they will get chances. I mean, I think Reiton against Bronze is a, a good matchup. I think James against Rolfo, I don't know which way that will go, but I think that's really exciting. That's kind of a classic winger against fullback duel, even if Rolfo is kind of a converted winger herself. And I think Kerr can get the better of fullbacks. I mean, Paredes and Mappy Leon are really good high up the pitch. They're both really good in possession. I like Mappy Leon, I think, particularly when she pushes into midfield. But, I mean, Kerr just, even the best centre-back, she does cause serious problems. I mean, we've seen Leah Williamson is maybe a bit intimidated because Kerr's got the better of her so many times. And, yeah, I think it will be about sporadic moments. I don't think Chelsea are going to dominate possession or even try to dominate possession. Mm. I think Hayes is quite reactive these days. And, yeah, I think it will be about one or two moments. Um, I mean, Chelsea didn't play well in that second leg against Lyon. They're very lucky to go through. Mm. But there were a couple of moments in the first half where Kerr had a chance. And I just she feel was, like... She went through one-on-one, -on -one, didn't she? Yeah, exactly. I just feel like they'll get a couple of those against Barcelona. And I do feel like they've 
they can't be chasing the game going to New Camp because they won't go through from that. They'll play on the break, but I think they've also got to score. I think they've got to get a result here. They really have to take advantage of this first leg at home at Stamford Bridge. You've just seen Barcelona go to another level at the New Camp. Looking at their results, you know, a 1-0 away win against Roma was really tight and then they just explode with that home advantage. Are we a bit worried that if Barca are in top gear, certainly at the new Camp, that almost no matter how well Chelsea defend, almost no matter how well Emma Hayes' game plan is to, to set up, Barca could be too good for them if they hit their, their top level? I think there is the potential for that, yeah. I feel like Hayes will try and play her most kind of functional, most professional side, if that makes sense. I don't think there's going to be too many, um, you know, players in there who are, are not experienced. I think she's going to play a very solid team. But I do worry about them in, in certain positions. We know what happened with the fullbacks two years ago. I think the centre-back absence as well. I mean... Two years ago, I think Madeleine Eriksson was was one of the best players in the WSL, probably the best centre-back in the WSL. But whenever I see her this season, I think she's really struggled in terms of mobility. And I think that's the one thing you have to have against Barcelona. I mean, Bright's obviously a big miss, but what Bright's really good at is is the aerial dominance. I don't think they'll miss that, but I just think they'll miss someone who can just track runners and decide when to push up and maybe be comfortable when dragged wide. And I'm just not sure. I'm not sure how Chelsea are going to play it. Will Carter play in the centre? Maybe with, with Charles on the left and Perisay on the right. Uh, if not, maybe Mildred in the centre. This is assuming Buchanan's not going to come back. I just can't really see the recipe. I can't see the formula for Chelsea to shut Barcelona out of this game. Also, it's that relationship between the goalkeeper and the centre-backs. Like Mielder and Eriksen haven't played frequently together. They played against Aston Villa at the weekend. And also, Anne-Katrin Berger was out with norovirus mm. for that game. So does then Musevic come in? Um, Mary Earps for England was saying how important that relationship is between Williamson, Bright and Earps for England. Not just on a football basis, but you know who's going to come for those crosses. You know who's heading out the ball. And Millie Bright, such like tall in stature, she's, as Michael has written about before, between the kind of the dog and cat, the dog intercepting and pushing out and the cat reading the game more. And I, I just don't think that's clear cut with the centre-back options that Chelsea have available of who takes which position and the connection on the pitch. Well, the gauntlet is certainly laid down for Chelsea. They got past Lyon, now it's Barcelona. Next up for them, Barca have Lucy Bronze, the buccaneering Lucy Bronze as discussed. They also have Kira Walsh. How's she been getting on since moving over to Barcelona? On the outset, I think it's been very good. She said when she came back to England camp, intensity of training, just up to a next level, different style of play. But Walsh has had to A, adapt to a new system and B, adapt to the fact that she's not starting every game and she's not playing 90 minutes of every game. And for someone who is used to that, that's quite a hit to take on your confidence and, you know, valuing one of the best players who moved from Manchester City to Barcelona for a world record transfer fee. I mean, she played 29 minutes versus Real Madrid in March, but then started both quarterfinal legs against Roma. So when she moved to the club, Barcelona said that she was part of their long-term plans. Mm -hmm. She wasn't just a replacement for Puteas, who uh, was out with an ACL injury, and we'll come to talk about her later on. Again, this is a key area 
for Barcelona against Chelsea, that midfield looks scary, Michael. <laughs> like Walsh, Bon Matty and Patry in that midfield three. Chelsea feared Leon's midfield, but I think Barcelona take it to a next level. Yeah, I think she will start this game, but it's been... I think you're right about just the different status. I mean, for England and City, she was the key midfielder. She's the one they always look to. And it's now like she's the kind of third most important midfielder. Certainly, um, if Puteas was to come back. But I think even Patrice just knows the system. Uh, but the key player now, I think, when I've seen them this season, has been Bonmati, who I think has always been a little bit... It was always Puteas who got all the praise and Bonmati was kind of the, the secondary figure. I always thought they were a lot closer in, in terms of ability and impact to that. And without Puteas this season... Bomati's taken on a bigger role in general, but also more advanced role um, between the lines, not just kind of creating from deep, but pushing on in and around the box. I think she's useful as well. And I think Chelsea will just play players who can try and stop them. Like you say, the absence of G, Chelsea don't have players who can compete in that respect. So it's going to be kind of Cuthbert and Ingle, I would expect, in the centre trying to get into their face and make life difficult. But again, it's I, I just don't think Chelsea will will really win in that zone. I think they've got to keep it tight in that zone and just hope for the counter-attacking chances and, you know, almost be a bit old-school Chelsea. You know, the way Chelsea men won the Champions League in 2012, which I think was something that Frank Lampard was thinking about the other day um, with his team selection. I think it's going to be kind of the same kind of approach. But from Chelsea's perspective, hopefully a different outcome. Yeah, it feels to me the way you guys have set it up like one that you sort of probably watch between your fingers. It feels like Barca will have possession for the most part and it'll, it'll need to be a hell of an effort from Chelsea to to hang with them. In terms of Kira Walsh, I mean, Michael, you, you did that fantastic piece with her where you re-watched the Euros final with her and broke down her play in that game, what she was thinking tactically. I guess it, it, two things can be true. It, you know, she might have taken a bit of a hit to the confidence this season because Barca have got such strength and depth in that area of the pitch. And yet, scarily, or brilliantly for England, I guess, it could be that Walsh as a player is in the process of stepping up a level as well. But it just maybe isn't as visible because she's you know, not dominating games for, for this Barca side. Yeah, I think it happens a lot where you get a player move to basically a side on the highest level with a coach who just demands very specific things and they, they need a season to adapt. And I think that's probably just what she's going through. But I think it's a long-term thing for her there. I think maybe second season, third season, she'll she'll come to the fore. But when I've seen Barcelona this season, it hasn't been the Walsh that we saw in the Euros where I thought she was England's best player, not just in the final, but through the whole tournament. The language as well. Kira Walsh does not speak Spanish. And she said to me that that's been the trickiest thing, that it's, it's, you know, it's Spanish is the predominant language. Lucy Bronze speaks a bit of French and Portuguese as well, so she's learning along the way. But Barcelona players didn't understand Walsh's northern accent. So it's a huge cultural change, language, communication. And Barcelona, it is interesting in terms of the intensity. I can't work out if it's more intense or less intense for someone like Kira Walsh and Lucy Bronze, because obviously the training is from what we've heard to the next level and also playing among the best players like Walsh playing with Bonmati and just that creativity. But Barcelona are not challenged throughout the league. Our correspondent Laia Savello on the Women's Football Pod was saying the gap between Barcelona and Real Madrid is huge. Uh -huh. So have they really been tested this year like Chelsea have against Manchester City, Arsenal, Man United... Leon in the Champions League on a regular basis. 
Their probably toughest fixture was against Bayern in the group stages. But apart from that, their league is a walk in the park. Yeah, I mean, they're 25 from 25 in the league. And I think they were the same last year. Did they draw one last year, maybe towards the end? But it's a a bit of a walk in the park. And in the Champions League final last year, when Lyon beat them 1-0, I almost thought Barcelona just looked surprised that it was a bit of a battle. And I mean, the goal was scored by Henri kind of just literally tackling someone, picking himself up and smacking the ball in from 30 yards, which almost symbolized the fact this was just a kind of, it was a level of intensity to that game I don't think Barcelona were prepared for and it seemed to rattle them a bit. And that's what Putea said when they lost 3-1. They said, as she said, you know, we lacked the competitive rhythm domestically um, and they are heads and shoulders above the rest of their league. But I think it was that shock of confronting a Leon side that was so physical. And, you know, that is something that Chelsea can take pride in of the competitiveness in the WSL, but also they've come up against Barcelona before and you can't fake or replicate that experience. Mm-hmm. They, they're they a bit, you know, rabbit in the headlights at Champions League final in 2021. But I have no doubt that Emma Hayes and her analysts will have re-watched that final over and over again. And they, they do know what's coming for them. Hello, this is Adam Hurry, the voice of Football Clichés, a unique podcast on the Athletic Network. A football podcast you might not think you need in your life, but honestly, you will need this in your life. We've just chalked up our 250th episode, which, at a rough calculation, makes about 12,000 minutes, or just over eight days of our lives, spent digging into the previously unexcavated language of football. We've argued about what cometh the hour means, we've heard Pierre-Emil Huyberg talk about food in the most footballery way imaginable. Like, no disrespect to egg yeah but I'm surprised how (laughs) flavoury it is we selected the pure Europa League 11 we're still on speaking terms with several mainstream football commentators and we'd love you to have a listen to us Football Clichés is available on The Athletic and wherever you get your podcasts Well, that's made me feel a little bit better. I feel like we've dragged back a bit of uh, uh, hope there for Emma Hayes' side uh, for the semi-final against Barcelona. The other game involves Arsenal. They're playing against uh, Wolfsburg. Before we talk about this game, we have to touch on the big game in the WSL last night, which could have an impact with the first leg of the Champions League semi-final being played just, what, 72 hours after it. It was Manchester United against Arsenal. Didn't go Arsenal's way, both in terms of the result and also some very, very damaging injury news. Yes, Leah Williamson in the 14th minute, I think, just signaling to the physios, um, hand slamming the floor, an innocuous challenge from Katie Zellum. Uh, so yeah, it does not look good for Leah Williamson. Um, we're still, you know, given the nature of the injury, you have to wait um, to see exact diagnosis, but that is a huge blow First for Arsenal, but even more so for England. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Arsenal-specific question, Michael. Uh, Chelsea missing some of their first-choice centre-backs and wait and see how they're able to to handle those absences in terms of what Arsenal will lack if Williamson isn't available for the game, as, as we expect, and who they have in reserve, you know, what their prospects. Yeah, it's almost a similar situation. I mean, just as Chelsea have been without Harder and Kirby for most of the season, Arsenal were without... Mead and Meadham after they both got injured in November, December, which was tough enough, changed their attacking plan. And then kind of when they got their heads around that, then lost Kim Little for the rest of the season, who is the most composed midfielder, I would say. 
and now Williamson, who has also played in midfield at, at times to plug a gap when others have been out. So both sides, I just think that's four key players, really, both Chelsea and Arsenal are going to be without. And I think it's going to be tough for both of them. I think Arsenal, would, I mean, Arsenal have often moved players around to accommodate for others being out. They've got quite a few versatile players. Williamson, McCabe can play different roles as well. But they're now at the stage where I think even if you move players about, you're still having to bring in someone who feels maybe like they they wouldn't be in the first choice 11, really, to be frank. Um, so, yeah, I think this is going to be a bit of a struggle for Arsenal. I think both the English sides are underdogs in these ties. Um, I think of the two, I mean, obviously Wolfsburg are not as strong as Barcelona, but I think Arsenal do have a slight advantage in playing that first leg away. That feels preferable to me. Get the hard bit out of the way. Maybe you can play for a nil-nil, then take it back to the Emirates and maybe, you know, home advantage can count there. But uh, yeah, it's going to be tough for both of them. Mm. Stylistically, what questions do Wolfsburg pose compared to Barcelona, for example, in terms of style of play? I think they're a very different side. I mean, it's worth pointing out that just as Barcelona beat Chelsea two years ago, Wolfsburg knocked Arsenal out in uh, the quarterfinal last year. Mm -hmm. I think they're a really good around side. I think one of the things they've got that maybe you wouldn't say about Barcelona is they've got physicality. Um, the centre-backs are the, the two German centre-backs from the Euros final who've got a very good partnership. They've got Lena Uberdorf in midfield, who a lot of people had down as the the best holding midfielder of that tournament, maybe alongside Walsh. But they've got speed out wide as well, and they've got Pop up front, who's a proper penalty box striker. Um, so they've just got, yeah, they're a really, I think, quite a tough side to play. And the game last year, I thought Arsenal was slightly, maybe slightly naive in, in just the sense of they didn't do the kind of the dirty stuff well. You know, they Wolfsburg are quite good at breaking up the play. They're quite physical. They're, they can tactically foul. They can do the kind of things you expect of a really experienced side. And I'm not sure Arsenal necessarily showed that. I think they're more built this season for physicality than they were one or two years ago. I think Frieda Marnham has been a great addition now. She's a regular uh, black genius up top and her day is a really useful striker in that sense. Um, and at the back, Raffaella has, has been very good this season. Um, but it's it's the yeah it's the physical side of things I think Arsenal might struggle with here. I felt last year, Arsenal against Wolfsburg, Arsenal were just always a step behind, just off that pace. And that meant that they then dropped deeper defensively instead of being higher and, and on the front foot and, and being brave. I know that's not very tactically astute, but Arsenal have gained that Champions League experience, like thrashing Leon in the group stages. They're a lot more confident in themselves and that belief and Beth Mead talked about the need of that risk versus reward pass, like playing those forward passes, being a bit braver, breaking the lines. And last year against Wolfsburg, there were some rush decisions, sense of panic and a lot of turnovers. Now, Kim Little and Leah Volti and Williamson are the foundations of that Arsenal spine and they bring that composure and that calmness. You've got two of those three players out. Mm. And also, I suppose, one of the perils of dropping deep if they are forced back, if they don't feel comfortable stepping up, is that Pop, absolutely dominant penalty box poacher, right? Particularly aerially. Yeah, maybe that's the, another big difference between them and Barcelona. I think Barcelona's forward is always coming deep and Pop can do that. But yeah, she's brilliant in the penalty box. So I feel like Arsenal will have to... Uh, We'll have to withstand a lot of pressure in this game. And they maybe don't have the countering speed of Chelsea. I think they, they like to build up a little bit more gradually. They've got a couple of quick players out wide. 
But I think it's more about combination play. And I mean, Arsenal's best result, best performance as well against a good side recently was in the Continental Cup final against Chelsea. And I thought that was that was quite a patient display. Valti in particular was very good at putting them in control. And as Charlotte says, without Little and without Williamson, I think she's got a huge responsibility to try and do that here. But against that Wolfsburg midfield, it'll be very difficult. And uh, I mean, one of their match winners last season who scored the opening goal was Gilles Rood, who's a former Arsenal player who left when uh, Joe Montemurro left. Stopping her will be a, a big job as well. What I find interesting is playing the teams in quick succession. Mm. So we saw Arsenal lose to Chelsea 2-0 in the FA Cup. And then the next game was playing Chelsea in the Conti Cup. So it's how both managers adapt their tactics according to what they've learned in the first leg. Now, Jonas Edeval said that Arsenal recognised the patterns and the mistakes in the first game against Chelsea much quicker. So the recognition was a lot stronger. And that only happens when you play a team twice because you've lived it physically and then you reinforce it theoretically. That muscle memory is a lot more ingrained. So that will be really, really interesting of how teams set up after the first leg. The Barca-Chelsea game at the New Camp is on the Thursday, the 27th. So just five days after the first leg, the Arsenal-Wolfsburg second leg is on the Monday. So uh, just over a week after the first leg. Um, two great games this weekend, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, in terms of a, a quick WSL title race update, you know, last night's game was huge. There were three points between Manchester United, top of the table, and Arsenal in third. Chelsea in between them. Now there's a six-point gap between United and Arsenal. Chelsea have two games in hand over United and they're four points back, which when you consider, Michael, Charlotte, these teams generally picking up over two points per game, does that lead you to think that Chelsea are in a stronger position despite not having points on the board? Yeah, I think so. Although it also, you've got to bring fixture congestion into it. Obviously, Chelsea have got these two Champions League games. They've got the FA Cup final to come as well. So have Manchester United. So that is tough. I mean, it's really difficult to work out how it's going to all shake out. But the penultimate round of fixtures features Manchester United at home to Manchester City and Chelsea at home to Arsenal. So you've got the four sides at the top maybe going to decide things effectively on that penultimate weekend. I think it's going to be really exciting. We thought the title race had really come alive a couple of weeks ago when everyone was talking about it. Now I think it's just taken to next level. I would have backed Arsenal to beat United. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Manchester United get that 1-0 win is huge. I'm still backing Chelsea. I think a bit of time for Millie Bright. She sh expected to be available in a couple of weeks-ish. Mm -hmm. Again, Aston Villa, they play Manchester United next. So... We've seen how they can really cause the top four problems as well. But yeah, I can't call it. It's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? And can you just contextualise Manchester United and the significance of them being at the top of the table in such a strong position because they haven't always been at the top table of the WSL, of English women's football? Yeah, this Manchester United side, as we know, it was only formed in 2018. They had went straight into the championship, promoted to the WSL, finished fourth uh, in consecutive seasons. Champions League qualification was always their aim. And they were at the top of the table last year and then faded away after February. So it's whether they own it, do they say we're at the top and 
obviously it's in Chelsea's hands. If they win all their games, they could still be crowned champions, but it would be huge for United. Absolutely massive. And also a real wake up call for the club to say, we have built this in such a short space of time, just more investment, look at where we could go. And the remarkable thing is that Manchester United are top, essentially, in a way, because Russo scored two winners against Arsenal away and home. And on the last day of deadline day, Arsenal were trying to sign her, which, I mean, she didn't go in the end. But these things tend not to happen unless there's some level of interest from the player. And I know, you know, there's constant stories that Manchester United's, uh, you know, their contractual offers are basically not what they should be for the level of players they've got, especially with... You know, Russo and Toon are two players who kind of symbolise the club. But, I mean, just those two goals have made such a, mass- a massive difference. If you take them away, United would have four fewer points. Arsenal would have two more. And we'd have three teams on 40 points at the top of the league. So just those two goals have made a massive difference. The game of what if Alessia Russo had signed for Arsenal on deadline day could have happened. Mm. And she's a big game player. It's a great narrative. Uh, There's so much to look forward to this weekend in the UEFA Women's Champions League semi-finals, Chelsea, Barcelona, Arsenal, Wolfsburg. There's a lot to look forward to over the next few weeks as the WSL title race takes further shape. And then, of course, this summer, the big one, the Women's World Cup, uh, which Michael and Charlotte will be covering very, very closely for The Athletic. So make sure that you are subscribed to The Athletic. Head to theathletic.com forward slash tactics for the best current offer for an annual subscription. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed where we will be back again next week on The Athletic Football Tactics Podcast. The Athletic.